a word for you this morning that I really believe is going to encourage you. I'm really excited to share this with you this morning, and I believe that um, I was praying about this message and just really asking God um, to, to help me inspire people to trust Him in a greater way and to, to uh, increase and, and, and grow in their fellowship and in their relationship with God. Come on, that's what we all want, isn't it? We all want, we're all here because we want to grow in our relationship with God, in our understanding of, of our righteousness in Christ and, and in our communion and our fellowship with Him. And, and I believe that through this message this morning, as the Holy Spirit speaks to all of us, even as He was speaking to me as I was writing this, um, I believe that God is going to encourage us to, to, uh, to get in touch with Him and, and, and to really uh, uh, just trust Him to a new degree. So if you have your Bibles here this morning, please turn with me to Acts chapter number 12. And we're going to read uh, from verse 1 through to verse 5. Acts chapter number 12. Everybody good? You got your Bibles open? Acts chapter number 12 and verse 1 says, About that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James the brother of John with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Peter, at that point, was the head of the church. So he gets arrested by Herod the king. This was during the days of the unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in in prison. He put Peter in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Four squads of soldiers to guard Peter in prison, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but the scripture says, earnest prayer. Why don't you just go ahead and say, earnest prayer. Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Peter gets thrown into prison, but earnest prayer is made for him uh, by the church. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 14, I also want to read this morning. And and in this letter to, to Thessalonica, Paul, to the church in Thessalonica, uh, Paul writes, and he ends his letter by just admonishing the church. It's a great little passage of scripture. I encourage you to go read the full bit at home. But I just wanted to read these few verses as Paul ends this letter. He says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Everybody say without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We're going to go ahead and and just take that advice and and pray uh, this morning before we we discuss uh, this passage of Scripture. Let's let's pray together. Jesus, uh, you are incredible. You are awesome. And it's so good to know you. It's so good uh, to be known by you. We thank you this morning that we can humble ourselves before your word, Father that we can hear your voice clearly, that we are your sheep and your sheep hear your voice and they will not follow the voice of a stranger. We thank you, God, that we have fellowship with you, that it's intimate, that it's real, that it's tangible, God, that we can experience your love and your grace this morning. We humble ourselves at your word and we pray, Father, speak to us, inspire our hearts, encourage us. God, open our minds, God, and increase our faith, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Come on, we can do better than that. Everybody said, Amen. We really believe it this morning. Um, so I find that whenever I'm packing my bags to go on holiday, I tend to be quite optimistic 
about myself and my own levels of, of commitment. Because whenever I'm packing my bags for holiday, I normally have my bag on the bed opened up and uh, you normally put all the essentials in first and then you put in the shirts and then you go through everything. And, and, and as I'm packing, I, I start to think about the holiday and I start to think about what I'm going to do when I'm on holiday. And for some reason, I, I convince myself that when I'm on holiday, one thing that I would like to do is exercise regularly. Especially if you go down to the coast, all of a sudden, these, these, these notions, these romantic notions of running uh, by the side of the beach early in the morning. You've seen those movies, right? It looks so good. It looks so refreshing, and it's got this uh, romanticism to it, just the running as the sun's rising, and the seagulls are flying overhead, and the waves are crashing, and you've got your iPod strapped to your arm, and you're listening to some great tunes as you're running by the beach, and everybody else is still snoozing, but you come in, and you make yourself some breakfast, and you know, you're just going to enjoy the day. And for some reason, every single time I'm packing for, the hol- for a holiday, especially at the coast, that That's what comes into my head. And so I go to my cupboard and I grab my running shoes and I put them in my bag, confident that this is what I will do. I will run this holiday. I will get fit this holiday. I will lose weight this holiday, especially over December. Nobody loses weight over December, but I'm going to do it this holiday. And I'll put in some running shorts and 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 I'll put in uh, whatever gear I need to go running. And without fail, every single January, I come back from holiday and those things are unused. They don't even need to go back into the, they don't even go to the washing. They just go straight back into the cupboard because they haven't, be, even though I had this idea, I, I thought to myself, it would be really, really good to go running. Um, I just, I end up not doing it. And there are a couple of things like that. There are a couple of things that we all agree. These are good things to do. We want to do these things. But for some reason, there are things that in general, if you look at people's lives in general, they tend to actually not do as often as they would like to. And quite sadly, we find that prayer falls into the same category of things. Prayer falls into this category of things that we all agree is good to do. But actually, if we're honest about it this morning, very few of us really practice we even have the romantic notions of prayer. You just in the prayer room, just worshiping God and, 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 and crying out to God and speaking to Him. And you think to, myself, you think to yourself on a Sunday morning, I've got to pray more this week. When you're doing your New Year's resolutions at the end of the year, you think, I've got to pray more this year. I'm going to pray more every day. But when it comes to the actual morning, when it's time to pray, we find that many of us fail in, in doing that. And I, and I want to encourage you a little bit this morning in your prayer life, in our fellowship with God, in our communication with God through this message called earnest prayer. This earnest prayer that was made by the church. Earnest prayer. I want to have an on, honest and a candid conversation with you this morning about prayer. Why do we so struggle to pray? Why do we not take this opportunity that we have to talk and to fellowship, and to ask of, and to hear from, literally the creator of all things, the God who is all-powerful, and and all-knowing, and and ever-present, the God who, to whom all things are possible, He can cause anything to happen in a moment. Why would we be so quiet 
when we've been invited to, to speak to him. If, if you think about your, your own life, if you think about the opportunity that we have to connect with God, imagine, imagine if somebody, if you're a business person, if somebody like Richard Branson or, or Elon Musk came up to you and said, hey, here's my, here's my personal number, took out a business card, wrote down their personal mobile number on the back and said, you know what, I just, I like you, I wanna hang out with you, maybe we can go play golf, maybe we can go for coffee, maybe we can watch a movie, I'd just like to hang out with you as often as, as often as you want. Here's my personal number, Richard Branson, Sir Richard Branson, writing it all down, or Elon Musk, or Barack Obama, or somebody just, just writing this down going, hey, let's hang out. I mean, we wouldn't stand there going, oh, gee, I'm, I might use this. I don't know. I, I might phone him up, uh, you know, once and see how it goes. No, if we, if we got somebody like that to, that really wanted to hang out with us and mentor us and help us and, and, uh, and help us get, get along in life, then we would probably be thinking, how can I do this as often as possible without making a nuisance of myself, right? We want to play it cool. Like, I'm not going to phone him every three minutes like, hey, Sir Richard, what's up? Yeah. No, I got your number. It's great. I just, can we hang out tonight again? Can we just, can we go for sushi? You know, you, you, would, you would be thinking of ways to, to, uh, to not make a nuisance of yourself because we would want to connect with them so often. But the invitation of prayer is not for us to, to meet with just a great leader or somebody who's the head of an industry or the head of a field, um, but to literally commune and have fellowship with the creator of heaven and earth. Just think about that for a moment. You've got a direct line to God. And He is, He does have the ability to cause anything to happen in your life. He does have the ability to do miracles on your behalf. He has the ability to act on your behalf. He's willing to move on our behalf if we would only ask. So why do we so struggle um, to connect with God? Some people, I've heard a lot of pastors say that it's a commitment issue. The reason why we struggle to pray is because we're not committed enough. We haven't set aside a time in our, in our schedules and, we, and we're not committed to it. We're not devoted enough. We should be working on our, on our laziness. We're too lazy to pray. Have you ever heard pastors say that? If you're too lazy to pray, then you can't expect this. We've got we've to up our commitment level. So they say perhaps the reason why we struggle is because of a commitment issue. Others say it's a distraction issue. We're too busy. We're too distracted. We're running around all day, and that's why we don't pray. And although I think that both of these issues, commitment and, and being distracted, definitely contribute, I don't think this is the main reason why we struggle to pray. I believe that these are side issues. I think that the real reason why we struggle to pray, and this is going to hit home a little bit, but the real reason why we struggle to pray, pray is a faith issue. It's a faith issue. Before it's a commitment issue or an issue of being too busy. It is a faith issue where we simply wonder sometimes to ourselves this question that haunts us. We know that prayer, we agree that prayer is good and it's something that we should all do. But the question that haunts us is, does this actually work? Like the obvious Christian answer to that question is, of course it works. God hears your prayers. God answers your prayers. But when we sit there, there's this voice of doubt inside of us that says, does God actually hear me right now? Does he actually care? Is he going to answer this prayer? I'm, I'm not so sure. Okay, so I'll go through the motions and I'll do it anyways. But is there really a God who hears me and who acts on my requests, who, who acts on my behalf? It's a faith issue. 
And so prayerlessness hits a lot deeper than we care to admit. It hits right to the heart of what do we believe about this God who we serve? What do we believe about this Christ whom we've given our lives to? Do we really trust him? Do we really trust him? The truth is that we're all tempted to trust more in what we can do for ourselves and what others can do for us than we are in what God can do for us. We're tempted to to trust in, in, in what we can do for ourselves and we kind of treat prayer as a last resort. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to make this happen. When it comes to my business, when it comes to my career, you know, um, God kind of does stuff on Sundays and a connect group, but, but, but my career is up to me. I've got to do the things. I've got to work hard. It's up to me to make it happen. So that's how we, we, we kind of approach that. And I need other people with connections and, and help and assistance. And so so we, we are all tempted to trust more in what we can do for ourselves and what others can do than to trust in God, to trust in Him and what He said he would do for us. It's almost like when, when God actually does do something for us, when we pray for something and it happens, we're almost surprised. <laughs> I, 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 wow, I didn't think that was going to happen. I, okay, I guess there kind of is a God. Have you, have you ever, has that ever happened to you? When, when, when a prayer gets answered and you go, what? Oh, that was unexpected. <laughs> I guess God is real. As if when we went into the prayer in the first place, we didn't believe that he was real. The Bible says that those of us, in Hebrews 11, it says those of us that come to God must believe that he is, that he exists. If we're going to come to God, we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If we're going to come to God, we've got to believe in him. We've got to have our faith in him. And so our issue with prayer is really a faith issue. Jesus' rebuke in the storm, Jesus is on a boat with the disciples and there's a massive storm crashing over the boat and it's, and it's gonna sink them and, and, and they're basically worried that they're all gonna die and they find Jesus sleeping in the back of the boat. And they go up to Jesus, Peter goes to Jesus and he wakes Jesus up and he says, Don't you, you're sleeping, don't you care that we're dying? We're perishing here, this, we're gonna go under. And Jesus gets up and in Matthew 8 verse 26 It says, he said to them, why are you afraid? O you of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds in the sea and there was a great calm. Why are you afraid? You see, we we, we fear and we rely on ourselves because we don't trust in God. We don't pray because we don't really trust that God can answer. So Jesus is saying, come on guys, believe. Believe in who God is. Believe in what he, uh, how he feels about you. Believe in the care that he has for you. In Philippians 4 verse 6, it says, do not be anxious about anything. Not anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Come to God. Don't, be, don't worry about stuff, but come to him. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I believe God wants us to trust Him enough to ask of Him. Trust God enough to spend time in His presence, to hang out with Him, to to have Him speak to us. That's what a relationship with God looks like. That's what I want to get across to you this morning, is that a relationship with God looks like something. There's a walk 
there's a, there's, a, there's a communion, there's a fellowship. The Bible says we've been united with God through Christ by our faith in Christ. There's, there's an actual physical relationship between you and God, and He is speaking to you, and we speak to Him. He, he fellowships with us. He hangs out with us. We, 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 we are in His presence. And so this produces a lifestyle. We see this in the life of, of all the guys in the Bible. In Abraham, he walked with God. God called him and, and regularly spoke to him with Moses, with, with David, with Jesus himself, with Peter and Paul and all of the early church that we're looking at in the book of Acts. There was this real tangible uh, understanding that Jesus was present and we have a relationship with him. These guys believed that God could answer. So this is my question this morning to all of you, to all of us is what would our prayer lives look like if we really believed that God would answer? It's a faith issue. What would our prayer life look like if we really believed in our hearts that God hears us and wants to answer us? I believe it would look like what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 where he says, pray without ceasing. If you knew that God hears your prayers and answers your prayers. The Bible says that the prayers of a righteous man or woman, and we've all been made righteous by the blood of Jesus, are effective. They avail much. They cause a lot to happen. If we really believe that, I believe we'd pray without ceasing. We'd always be praying. And not only would we be praying without ceasing, we would witness without ceasing. We would actually see God answering our prayers and doing things both small and great. My gran had this, this uh, great trust in, in Jesus for even the little things. And back then, uh, when, when tape recorders just came out, she got herself a little tape recorder. And every single day, she trusted God for the smallest of things. And every time God answered her, even in those small things for a headache to go away or something that she's lost to be found, she would record it and say, on this day, this is what God did. I prayed for this. This is how it did. And she, by the end of her life, had this massive suitcase full of cassette tapes of all the testimonies of things that God did for her in her life day after day after day after day. And how many of you know that if you can trust God for that headache, if you can trust God for those small things, you can start trusting him for the bigger things as well. I once remember speaking to an English teacher and, and, and her telling me she doesn't want to waste her prayers asking God for small things. Uh, she wants to save them up so that she almost has more clout with God when something big happens. Like, okay, terminal disease. Now it's time to pray and trust God. But God wants us to trust Him in the finite details of our lives. The small details of our lives. This week, uh, Chris told me about uh, tennis and, and how uh, this family have a, a home that they rent out and have been uh, trying to, to find a tenant for months. And, uh, and in this week, if I'm not mistaken, tennis, he, he just prayed and just said, God, if you can, if you can do this, uh, if you can just help us find a tenant, we're paying our bond and this other house's bond. We really need to find a tenant after, after it being empty for months and, and not being able to find a tenant. And, and tennis prayed this week and the very next day, he found a tenant to move into the house. The very next day, we can trust God, even with those kinds of things. We can trust God and see the sick healed and, and, and lives restored and incredible miracles happening. When we trust God, there's a contentment, the Bible tells us, that comes. There's a contentment, just like Jesus said to Peter, why are you worried about the storm? Why are you anxious? Don't be anxious about anything, just pray. 
if you trust God, we'll find that our angst and our anxiety and our worry starts to dissipate. In James 4 verse 1 to 2, James writes and he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fight, fights amongst you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Then he says this, you don't have because you don't ask. In other words, we're not trusting God and going, I don't have to fight my way through life and fight my way to earn every single thing that I ever get in my life. I can stand back and rest in Jesus and just ask him. And if we do that, we'll, we'll fight with people less. Because we'll trust in God. Have you ever found yourself fighting on your own behalf, trying to wrestle through people and, and, and get into a position where, 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 where you have what you want? The Bible says that if we trusted God and we asked, we would have without having to fight for it in that way. In Hebrews 3, 5, it says, Keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't it incredible how the writer of Hebrews connects these two things? If you want to keep yourself free from the love of money and content with what you have, what you need to believe, that God is with you. See, contentment comes from trusting that God is really with you. He is going to provide for you. He is going to protect you. He is going to make sure that you are looked after. When we do that, then we are free from the love of money and from, and from being discontent always. So that's a major reason why we don't pray, is because we don't trust, we don't have faith. We don't believe, we, we undervalue or underestimate the power of prayer. Another reason I, I think that we, we, we struggle to pray is that for a lot of people, they feel that, that they don't know how. How do I start? How do I do this thing called prayer? And even the disciples asked Jesus. They said to Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? We'd like to know how to pray. And so what I want to do just in the time that we have left this morning is I want to mention three ways that we can pray. And I'm hoping that this is going to encourage you and inspire you to trust God through prayer like never before. The first one, which I believe is the most fundamental, is prayer as a lifestyle. Prayer as a lifestyle. When someone asked George Miller, the great evangelist, how much time he spent in prayer, he replied like this. He said, hours every single day, but I live in the spirit of prayer. I pray as I walk and when I lie down and when I arise, and the answers are always coming. Prayer is a lifestyle. See, if you believe that you've been connected with God through faith, then God isn't a far away. That's how people view him. Oh, he's far away now. And then when I pray or I worship, oh, now he's coming closer. Oh, but now I'm not living so great. So he's far away again. We kind of see God as being far and close, far and close, always moving further away or, or nearer to us according to how well or how devoted we are. But the Bible tells us that we are temples of the Holy Spirit and that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. And so when you really believe that, what happens is that everything that you do throughout your day, throughout your life, is a part of your life of prayer. Prayer is simply to communicate with God, to fellowship with God. And when you understand that God is always with you, you're always in communion with God. You're always fellowshipping with God. You're always walking with God. You're never separated from His, His presence. You've entered into this continual and eternal relationship with God. 
Because our hearts have been united with Christ through faith. So we live our lives with Jesus always being with us, always listening, always speaking. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where you zone out. You just kind of zone out. Maybe when you're sitting in traffic, you just kind of zone out. Or, or when you're standing in the shower and your mind starts to just drift and you, you zone out. Or when your wife is telling you about her day, you just kind of, no, that's not true. I never do that. None of you guys do that either. But in those moments, it's like God all of a sudden starts to speak to your heart. Have you ever had that? Like you're not, you're not in an intense worship or prayer session right now. You haven't been on the mountain for 48 hours praying. This is just, you're in the shower and your mind drifts and all of a sudden you feel God, boom, speak to your heart. Something comes to you and you go, oh, I've got to change this about my life or, or I've got to go and do this, what God's called me to do. Or you, you get a sense of the reality, a revelation. I remember this happening to me once while I was at school walking between two classes. And I was, for some reason, my mind started to drift and I started to think about the righteousness of God. And this might be the first time that it really hit me. And I started to think about that scripture that said, I am the righteousness of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And it's a strange thing to be thinking between maths and Afrikaans. But as I was, as I was walking, I started laughing because I was like, I get it. I get right. I, I think I, this is amazing. I, God just spoke to me. And he does that. Why? Because he is always with us. He's always speaking to us. He's, he's always busy encouraging us and working in our hearts and lives, even when we don't realize it. God does this by his grace, not based on anything that we do to earn. You don't earn God's voice in your life. He does it because he loves you, because he's committed to you. The Bible says that uh, God remains faithful even when we are faithless. Because he cannot deny who he is. He is a faithful God. Even when you're unfaithful, he is faithful. And he is going to speak to you. He's going to be with you. I watched a TV show this week where a group of friends live together in a house. And the one guy who they all know is kind of a softie, he goes to the police academy. And he graduates. He becomes a policeman. And now he's going out on his first day on patrol. And these two friends are seriously worried about the softy friend of theirs. How can he be a policeman? How can he be out there fighting criminals? This is our friend. And they go to his, uh, his officer that's in charge that he's going to go out with, his training officer. And they, they try and check her credentials. They're like, are you going to really look after our friend? We care about this guy. Are you going to look after him? And they're not convinced that she is able to do the job. So, so as they go out on their first patrol, she asks him, she says, why did you send your friends to come and talk to me? And he says, I, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they came and spoke to you. And she goes, and why are they following us in the car behind? And, and they're kind of ducking so that they, they don't see them. And... And, and that's the thing that God loves us so much and cares about us so much that even when we're like, okay, God, it's fine. I've got this. I can do it on my own. I'll go out there. I'll do my job by myself. God still follows you. He still goes after you. And when you look behind you, you go, but I thought I was doing this on my own. And, and, and God's like, I care too much. I can't let you just go out and do this by yourself. I'm with you. So God is, is always, always with us. Even when we try and, and shake his, his influence in our lives, even when we try and do things in ourselves unknowingly, he's still with us. Brother Lawrence, who wrote a book, Practicing the Presence of God, said this. He said, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. 
In this world, there, there, there is nothing sweeter and more delightful than being in a continual relationship with God. And Brother Lawrence wrote this great book called Practicing the Presence of God, where he taught himself to simply become aware of God's presence more regularly. Just aware, God is with me. And he speaks about how he found God in the smallest details of life. In fact, at one point, it was his job to repair shoes, to mend shoes. And he said that as he sat there mending shoes, he would just constantly be practicing God's presence. I know that you're with me, God. Just fellowshipping with him, talking with him, uh, communicating with God, praying as he was mending shoes. And he speaks about the great joy that overcame him when even the most mundane tasks of life became delightful because of this fellowship. What if we approached our lives that way, where everything that we do, we're constantly aware of God's presence. He said that he was able to find fulfillment in those small tasks like never before because he included God in everything he was doing. So prayer as a lifestyle means that we are in a continual walk with God, always fellowshipping, always talking to him, always hearing his voice. And it's from that fundamental form of prayer that I believe all other forms of prayer uh, come out. And the second one I want to mention this morning is prayer as a personal discipline. Prayer is a personal discipline or prayer is a personal devotion. In Matthew 6 verse 6, it says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Go into your room, close the door. A moment that you have set aside in your day to go and speak to God. So we have prayer. We're always praying. We're praying all the time. We're always fellowshipping with God. But it is good for us to also have times where we can go and separate ourselves and be with God and, and, and speak to Him and worship Him and connect with Him. Jesus obviously mentions this uh, kind of prayer as opposed to a, a praying only when you're seen. Oh, I pray when I'm in front of people and, and, and I pray to be seen and I pray so that people think I'm holy. Jesus says, no, your prayer life is more than just something that you do publicly. God wants you to, to connect with him personally, individually. So there's a private prayer life that we're all called to. And this flows out of our lifestyle of, of fellowship with him. We see that Jesus often did this. Mark 1 verse 35 says, and rising early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus separated himself and prayed. What private prayer, what this personal devotion of prayer does is that it gives us the opportunity to sit in God's presence and to renew our minds, to be reminded. That's, that's the power of prayer. It's not that we're bending God's will, but that we're discovering His will. It's, it's not that we're, we're, we're sitting there hoping to change God, but we're sitting there being changed by God and being reminded of how He has already changed us. So prayer is powerful because when you sit there and you just think, imagine if before you went out to work in the morning or before you went about your day, you sat and you reminded yourself of who God is and of who you are in Him. I guarantee you the way that you live that day will look differently. You'll trust Him and you'll, you'll be inspired to trust Him in more things than, than what you normally do. Even in the small things you'll go, but I remember God is with me. I reminded myself this morning. We'll leave there 
leaving our concerns behind, having given our burdens to God. So what is, what is private or, or prayer as a, as a personal discipline? What does it look like? What is it a time for? I believe that those personal times that we have with God is a time for worship. It's a time for us to worship God. And when I say worship, we can be very narrow-minded about this sometimes. I don't necessarily mean um, standing up and, and singing songs, although um, that's fine to do if you want to worship God in that way. But how I always start my prayer and how I see so many prayers in the Bible start is simply by declaring the greatness of God. And this is not only honoring God for who He is, but it's also about right-sizing our view of God. If you want to build your faith, you need to right-size your perspective of God. So when you start to pray, when I start to pray, especially if I'm feeling overwhelmed by things, I start off by reminding myself of who God is. And I go, God, you're the creator of heaven and earth. You are the almighty, all-powerful God who spoke everything that exists into being. You are the one who flung the stars into the sky and who knows every single one of them by name. There is no one who can compare to you. There is no one who is able to do what you can do. There is no one who can, who can match you. You are the matchless, indescribable God who is, who is the creator of all things. And you are the one who sent your son, your own son, to die for me, God. And you did that with Jesus dying on the cross. This is the greatness of your love. This is the greatness of your compassion. This is the greatness of your power, God, that you would die for a sinner like me. And, 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 and the, as I go on declaring the greatness of God, what happens is that I'm being reminded of who this God is that I'm praying to. And before I know it, this, the big things that were issues in my life, I'm going, for this God, that's nothing. We right-size God. That's what happens as we worship Him. We are reminded of who this God is. He's not a small, little, impotent God sitting up in a cloud somewhere. This is the creator of heaven and earth we're talking to. And when it comes to what we need in our life, when it comes to the provision, when it comes to the protection, when it comes to the, the cries of our hearts, He hears and He is more than powerful to do all, all the things that we need. It's a trust that grows. It's a faith that grows. So we right-size God and that builds our faith. That's why Jesus, when he taught the disciples to pray, he, said, he started the prayer like this. He said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, which means honored and revered. Let's right-size God. Let's remind ourselves who this God is. So it's a time for us to, to worship him. As we go on from there, we, we give thanks. It's a time to give thanks as we are reminded also of how faithful God's been. Sometimes we feel like God has abandoned us until we just recount a little bit all the great things He's done in our lives. So it's a time to give thanks. It's a time for supplication. Supplication means to ask. Sometimes we think we're taking advantage of God if we ask Him for things. But it's actually what God wants us to do. He wants us to recognize how powerless we are in our own selves, and to trust in Him. And the more we trust God, the more we honor Him. When my son comes to me and he asks me for something, my first thought is never, ever, ever, oh, he's trying to take advantage of me. He just wants his dad to do something else for him now. <laughs> no, I love the fact that my son runs to me and, 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 and asks of me and wants something from me that he looks to me to help him. And if that's how I feel, how much more does God feel when we run to Him and we ask of Him? 
So, so this personal prayer is a time for us to ask God for whatever we need. We need that humility to declare that God is our source. And we ask not only for ourselves, but also for others. We ask God for, for the needs of people around us, for our family members. We say, God, help these people. Help, help this person. Help this person that's struggling. Help us. We're praying for ourselves. God loves to meet our needs. Martin Luther said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying a hold of His willingness. You're not there trying to convince God to be good to you. You're laying a hold of His willingness in which He already has decided to meet your needs. So we can ask boldly, boldly approach the throne of grace for ourselves and for others. Praying as well, the Bible says we should pray for our leaders. Praying for, for those that lead our country and for those that, that lead us uh, in various phase, areas of life. The Bible says that we are to pray for our pastors. And, and I'm asking you, pray for me. Pray for my wife. Pray for the leadership team here at Anchor. I heard somebody once say, if the church wants a better pastor, it simply needs to pray for the one it has. It's amazing what God can do when people are praying. Pray for your family. If you're a wife, pray for your husband. If you're a husband, pray for your wife. Pray for your kids if you're parents. Pray for your family members. It's a time to ask. It's a time also for honesty. When we go to God and we say, God, I, I've messed up in this way. Will you forgive me of, of my sins? I, I believe that I'm forgiven uh, and I forgive others as well. Take this, this moment to be honest with God. Remember, it's an honest relationship. To be honest about your failings and, and your shortcomings. Because we see Him as our only hope for overcoming those things. And the Bible says that God gives grace to the humble but the proud he resists. So this is a time for honesty when we go before God. It's not a time for pretense. It's not a time to pretend like we have it all together. It's a time better suited for brokenness, to go before God, brokenhearted, and go, God, I'm, I'm struggling in this. I'm honest before you. I need your help. And ask God for the help. See him as the one who can, who can help you. It's also a time for authenticity. And what I mean by that is that this is not a time for religious acts. God doesn't want us to, to go through our little religious sacrifices and duties because we think that that honors Him. This is a time for an authentic conversation with God, not just going through the motions. Sincere. I believe that God would rather have 10 minutes of sincere prayer than three hours of self-righteous babbling. Us going along going, oh, I'm becoming so much holier and so much more righteous because of how many hours I'm spending in here and I'm not even saying anything anymore that means anything and I've forgotten what I'm talking about. I'm thinking about other things, but I'm still talking because I'm so holy and I'm in my prayer life and I can tell people I prayed for three hours today. No, God would rather have you sit down and speak to him for two minutes with the sincerity of your heart than go through that kind of religious motion. So prayer is a time for authenticity, to be real with God. And finally, prayer is a time for listening. It's not a monologue, but it's a dialogue. It's a conversation. And we should let God speak to our heart. Sometimes just sit in His presence. The Bible says, be still. Which isn't necessarily to do with noise or, 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 or sound, but it means to go beyond that place of the noise. Just be, be still and know that I'm God. Just sit in His presence and let Him speak to you. Experience His spirit and His peace and His guidance. So we pray as a lifestyle. And we pray as a personal devotion. And number three, we pray as a corporate cry. We see prayer as a corporate cry. 
And this is where the Bible calls us to pray together as the church. We do that because we see it in Scripture. We do that here together on Sunday mornings in worship where I'll come up and I'll say, let's pray together for this person. Not because it's a religious action that we're taking, but because it works. Because God hears. We see this in the Bible, uh, all throughout the Bible, believers praying together, especially in the book of Acts. The Bible says that they devoted themselves to prayer. Even when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, they were busy praying. And it says after that, every day, there was prayers made together. So when we see this case of Peter that we read in the beginning, Peter gets arrested. And even though he's sitting in prison, the Bible says that earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The church comes together and they do this, this, this prayer of crying out to God together. And let's just look at what happens to Peter to finish off this morning. Acts 12 and verse 6. It says, Now when Herod was about to bring him out, to bring Peter out, on that very night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. So he is heavily guarded. He is chained up. He's lying between two guards. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. You can kind of tell that Peter is half asleep here. Because he kind of, you know, he gets woken up. And you know, when you wake up, you don't know where you are. You're like, where am I again? Oh, wait, I'm in prison. And, uh, and, and you're lying there. And the angel's like, okay, just, can you just get up? Just get dressed, please. Can you just put on your sandals? And then Peter's like, okay, he's, he doesn't know, and we'll see now. He doesn't know, is this really happening? Is this a vision? So he's like putting on, he's half asleep. He's like putting on his sandals, kind of doing his thing. The angel's like, and your cloak. Can you just put on your cloak as well, please, so we can go? Um, <laughs> and so Peter gets up, he puts on his cloak, and the angel says, and follow me. And it says in verse 9, and he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, so this is actually when Peter wakes up, he said, now I'm sure the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose, name, whose other name was Mark, uh, where many were gathered together and were praying. You see, they were praying for Peter, and at the same time that they are gathered praying as a church, an angel appears next to Peter, wakes him up, says, come, let's go. He doesn't even know if it's really happening or not. Gates are opening up. They're walking past all the gods. Chains are falling off of his arm, and he comes out into the road, and he wakes up, and he goes, I guess it was real because I'm no longer in prison. And so he goes straight to this place where the Christians are praying, and he, he walks up to the, to the door, and he, he knocks on it. We see this here. It says, uh, um, and when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. So Peter's still standing out there going, is someone going to open? Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. Here the church is praying for Peter's release and he's knocking on the door and they're going, no, 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 it can't be, it can't be. But you, that's what you were just praying for. And I believe that we've got to start believing in the power of prayer. 
Believe that God is answering those prayers. Sometimes we pray, and when somebody says, oh, God's answering your prayer, you go, oh, not really. He's not really, no, it can't be. God couldn't have just taken him out of it. He's in prison, we know that. But you're praying for his release. So we've got to believe in the power of corporate prayer. That prison gates will open up and that people will be set free when we pray for them. If you know people that are struggling, pray for them. Write down a prayer request on the card. Let's pray for them on Sunday mornings and let's believe that God answers the church just like he answered in this case of Peter. Prayer has the power to change things. As we declare our faith and dependence upon God, where we declare that, that, that God is the only source of our provision. And when we trust Him in that way, I believe God is quick to answer us and to act on our behalf. So let's trust God and let's pray. Understand that your life, your whole life is a prayer to God. You're in constant fellowship with Him. Understand that it is important for us to have personal moments of prayer and devotion and discipline where we set ourselves apart to worship Him and to remind ourselves of who this God is and to ask boldly of Him uh, by His grace. And let us also come together as the church and let us pray together. When we're praying on a Sunday morning and I get up and worship and I say, let's pray, don't stand there, but pray because it's powerful, because it's a great opportunity for your life. Pray for yourself. You need it more than you know. Remind yourself who God is. You need it more than you know. Remind yourself who you are in Him. It will change the way that you live. I'm praying that we will have a, a new and a fresh inspiration for prayer in our lives.